Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Fox Nomad podcast. I'm your host, Fox Nomad Anul Polat. Welcome to this update from the road, which might actually, sorry, I'm just getting adjusted here, um, which might sound a little bit different, as you just noticed, as I'm trying to get adjusted on my hotel bed here, which I'm sitting on the side off of. I've got the microphone, not on a stand, but I'm holding it in my hand because I'm in Antigua, Guatemala. But today I want to talk to you and give you a little bit of a travel update from the road, which I haven't really done in about a year since the last time I had traveled to a country, which was Pakistan, uh, at least, you know, going on a adventure to a new country. But I have recently spent about a month in Denver, so I want to talk a little bit about Denver and what that was like. Uh, also, I got to see some craziness on a mountain skiing out there. And then I want to talk to you a little bit about Belize, which kind of funny story, if you just listened to the last episode with Marshall Mayer, then you know I had a chance to visit a micronation. And I actually got to do it. It was a pretty crazy trip. So I want to tell you a little bit about it. Um, for those of you who follow on the YouTube channel, there's not going to be any videos probably until early May because all I'm doing right now is recording and I'm, I don't have time to edit. Um, and for those of you wondering, I... You know, people have often suggested to me that I should hire an editor so I can make more content. But I really feel like the process of editing is where your personality, the character, you know, of yourself and also the story comes out. I feel like if I gave that over to somebody else, they would be telling their story or their version of the story of my travels, which would be difficult to do because... You know, when I film everything and then I I put it into, okay, this is what this video is going to look like. This is the impression that I got during my trip. This is the voiceover I might add based on, you know, my notes and the memories that come up from a certain shoot, all of that stuff. So I have resisted that, which means there are gaps when I am going from place to place to place. Uh, back when I was in Pakistan in August, I decided that I'm just going to separate filming and I'm going to separate editing and uh, that's how that's going to work um, but I might be hiring a podcast editor so if you or someone you know who is interested in a editing a podcast but b also has the experience to do it it's pretty simple uh, my requirements are pretty simple mostly I don't edit the podcast for content um, what all my guests almost all of them ask me do you edit you know, the, do you edit the podcast? And I'm like, no. And with a guest, I almost, you know, never have to edit. It's usually when it's just me talking that there I have to edit because I mess up words talking or I cough or my voice goes Kermit the Frog, all those things. So basically it's editing for, you know, just a couple of, uh, really for sound. And maybe if I screw up something, I got to restart. But if you or somebody you know is interested in that, please let me know. Um, so yeah. Anyway, uh, let's talk a little bit about Denver. We'll then transition into Belize, and then we'll talk a little bit about tech. All right, we'll wrap this up a little bit about tech. So I was in Denver for a month, and I decided to go to Denver because I love skiing. I really do like cold weather, and I love snow, and I had never skied in the Rocky Mountains before. I never skied out on a real mountain like Colorado style so I was like all right I'm gonna go and actually going in March was a great time because I got to do a lot of spring skiing in other words 
in Denver, actually the day, the day I went skiing in Denver, it was about 75 Fahrenheit, which is like 23 degrees Celsius, maybe like 22 Celsius in Denver, in the city itself. But on the mountain, it was about 35 Fahrenheit, which is about one or two, three degrees Celsius. So nice for skiing. It wasn't too warm. And uh, I just got an email uh, from the resorts, actually, that they're going to, they're projecting to stay open till June 5th. So next spring, I think I'm going to be spending some time in Denver. But, you know, my past experiences uh, on mountains and skiing have usually been places that are making their own snow. Skiing in the Rockies is a totally different thing. It really is like you are just on a mountain skiing in nature. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, obviously it's, you know, there's a ski lodge and a resort and all that stuff and the lifts and everything. But when you're actually skiing, you really do feel like you are just skiing in the middle of nature. Like it snowed on a mountain, you got lifted up there and then now you got to ski down. And there are trees, there are trails through the trees, there are huge, there was this huge uh, canyon, like valley part of the slope that was just like massive and you can go up and down as fast as you want. If you wanted to take it slower, you know, you could go a little bit on the straighter paths. There are all these paths down. It was just really a ton, ton of fun. Uh, I started looking up different resorts. I ended up going to Arapaho because it was so close to Denver. It's like an hour and a little bit like an hour and 15 minutes away drive. It's pretty close. Uh, the trails there are pretty challenging. They're more challenging than average. Um, and, you know, a, a green or beginner slope in the Rockies is not, is like, it's a, it's a solid s- set of challenging. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's not like skiing like on the East Coast of the United States or on smaller mountains where, you know, a green can be pretty easy. In I've noticed at least at Arapaho and some of the other ski areas around that green could be challenging at times and blue was, you know, was a definitely a different level up. I mean, even the lifts, so the lifts like they fly up and down the mountain, which is fantastic. And there's like this small when you're getting on the lift, you know, so the lift's coming around and usually, you know, everybody's in line and you have an automatic, I think it's RFID little card you get. It's like your lift ticket. So you walk up into these little turn styles, I guess they're called. It's got a little, you know, little barrier. And then when it scans your card, when, you know, when you go, you and four other people usually get let through and then you go up and the lifts come whipping down the mountain. And then for like maybe I want to say like five seconds, they slow down and they stop and then you sit and it just goes like it goes fast. So if you're not used to that, you're used to the slower lifts at smaller resorts around the world, then it takes like a second to get used to. And it's pretty crazy because even on the like the bunny slope where they train people, they had a little training ski lift which was like a small little ski lift that goes really slow with two people and they teach you how to sit down and go up and down it was really cute for all for all the beginners you know uh but so i got on the lift uh the first time i didn't have any problems anytime and i went up and down the mountain 21 times and i know that because 
thanks to my Garmin Venue 2, which I've reviewed all the Garmin smartwatches on YouTube. So if you're interested in that and you love to ski, it's awesome because it tells you how many runs you make automatically. You don't have to click any buttons. It knows when you're on the lift, knows when you're skiing down, and it gives you all kinds of cool data like how fast you went, your maximum speed, your average speed, all of that stuff on the watch. And then when you load it up into the app, you can get even more information like where on the trail you sped up, what your speed was in different parts. It's all pretty cool. So I know I went up and down 21 times, uh, which is pretty insane. So the lift comes whipping around. And then the first time I was, you know, uh, not used to the speed of the lift, which actually does slow down just a little bit, just enough time for you to sit down. And then it goes whipping up the mountain. Um, and there were two sets of lifts. So the first set of lifts is all for really like blue slopes and beginner slopes. And there were some slaloms. So what's cool is there's actually a lodge, you know, there's a lodge at the bottom of the lift, you know, at the main resort. And then when you go up this first set of lifts, there's another lodge like on the mountain, which I have no idea how they built that thing up there, but there was a restaurant, they were barbecuing, there was beer. So people would just hang out there for a while and then, and then ski down. So I did a couple of those, I did a couple of, you know, green beginner slopes to warm up. And then I did some of the trails through through the woods, which were a lot of fun just because it was so beautiful. And I, I actually made a video about all of it. I was filming a lot of it, but I didn't upload it anywhere. So I, I, don't, I don't know if I'll do that, but um, it was just a lot of fun to just be skiing through the trees and, you know, just hanging out. And finally I got up enough courage after three, you know, three or four beginner runs. I was like, all right, let me work my way up to blue and then diamond. Um, and going up the lifts, you know, when it's just you and other people, you usually end up talking, you know, like talking about which trails are fun and which ones are more difficult, what, where there might be ice, what to look out for and all that stuff. Um, and so that helped me kind of go, okay, I've done, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a diamond skier, you know, it's just only going to be it's in the Rockies, so I thought it may be more difficult, but really the difference between diamonds and blues and beginners, I think, on these mountains is that they're just a lot longer. So they're just a lot longer than, for example, when you're, you know, on a smaller mountain, if you're on a diamond, the diamond, the, the you know, the more difficult part of the diamond might be like 10, 20, 30 seconds maximum where, you know, you don't have time to build up enough speed. Um, and you know, you can kind of get down there. Whereas, you know, in Denver, you know, at the resorts around there, the ski resorts around there, it's a lot longer. And, you know, you, you really have to like, when, when you're going down, you might pause and stop, uh, you know, and take a rest and then continue down. It's, it's really quite a bit longer. So, um, after a couple of those runs, I took the lift up halfway up the mountain. Then I took another set of lifts all the way up to the very, very top, which was about 12,100 feet. Uh, and I think at the base, it was something like, I want to say like 6,000, um, something like that. It was pretty high up, beautiful, sunny day, uh, which unfortunately I wasn't really prepared for. So I had my face covered to keep it warm. I had my hat, but didn't have any goggles. And I got a wicked sunburn just around my eyes. I literally looked like a raccoon for about three days after. It was uh, pretty, pretty disturbing. But so I get up to the top of the mountain, right? Um, and I see one of the craziest things I've ever seen in my life and also in skiing. 
on the way down in one of these. So I'm going up and we're we're talking. Uh, uh, there's a couple next to me and and uh, this guy's girlfriend or wife. I'm not sure. They were talking about how like all right, they took it a little bit easy on you know on the last run and a couple of runs. They're like, I want to get some speed. She was saying she really wanted to go super fast. But, you know, she was like talking and I was like, yeah, you know, this is pretty cool. When you go up to the top, the couple of runs I made on the blues and the diamonds, there's this one that's just like a huge, almost like a huge half pipe, just going halfway down the mountain. It was crazy fun because you can go up the side of the walls and then you'd slow just a tiny bit. And then if you just turn right back down, you would hit this hill with crazy speed. It was so much fun. It was so much fun. Um, so they're talking about that and, you know, talking about getting some speed and maybe going down the backside of the mountain, which was a lot faster as we go up. And this was only like two or three times that the lift actually stopped and the lift stopped in one of the highest points. So like the, you know, over this cavern, but this, you know, this big like half pipe going down the mountain, just a natural sort of valley down the mountain. And they were, they were just in shock and they pointed it out to me and I saw this red streak going down the mountain. I, I don't know how high up I was, but it was very, very high. Like people look like almost like slightly large dots, you know, it was, it was that kind of height. And you could see this red, just this red streak down the mountains close to where the lift stops and where you would go down just to start your descent through this valley, right? And so this red streak started about, you know, a quarter of the, like a quarter of the way, three, sorry, three quarters of the way down. And what I see there at the bottom is somebody, you know, the medical teams are there. There's, you know, the, the, the stretcher is there, the snowmobile, and they're doing CPR on a person. And Apparently, all of that red streak was blood, and it was pretty intense to see. I gotta admit, I I didn't, I couldn't see the person. I could just see the medical teams doing CPR on the person. None of us could figure out, you know, what. Obviously, the the red stuff was blood, but how you would bleed so much, like what kind of injury would cause that much blood to be on the mountain? trailing behind you it was very unusual and i still to be honest don't know you know i was thinking okay if you break your leg and the bone comes out or your arm the bone is like coming through your skin yeah you'd bleed a lot but then again you know when you're skiing right like you're wearing layers so the blood wouldn't just be pouring i mean it would be pouring out of you but i don't think it would color the mountain like that because it would have to soak your clothes and this streak was pretty long, but it wasn't such a distance that somebody would be bleeding through their clothes enough to where there would be that much blood on the mountain. So I, it had to have been a head injury, I want to say. Like, you know, somebody hits their head and then, you know, they start bleeding out of their head. I don't know if they were wearing a helmet, but, you know, and then they bleed all the way down. Uh, you know, that would also explain... Uh, the CPR, I would imagine that if you hit your head, you might, your heart might stop or something like that. I don't think, you know, they would need CPR if you broke your leg or your arm. So it was, it was pretty intense. It was one of the most intense things that I saw. And, you know, I, I, 
I felt it was just, you know, it's a lot of fun doing this and, and skiing, but, you know, there, I guess there is some, there is an inherent danger to it. And, uh, yeah, it really like took my breath away and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And, uh, you better believe that all three of us who were talking about going as fast as we could down the mountain, we, we, we took it a little bit easier, uh, on that, on that trip down, uh, so after a couple more runs, you know, later in the afternoon, maybe like a three hours after, as I'm walking, you know, I've given my skis back. As I'm walking back to the parking lot, I see a helicopter that is circling, you know, pretty low. And it's going to land basically where you get on the lifts. And, you know, I'm, I can't see quite where it's going to land, but they must have cleared out the bottom area to the resort. They must have cleared out the bottom area to make space for this medical helicopter because when I got down, when I gave my skis back, there was an ambulance and with the back open and there were medical staff there, I think they had finally been able to take the person down off the mountain. Now, remember, they were at the very, very top of the mountain, like very top, very close to the top lift, not the first lift up, but the second lift up you take from there. So they had obviously, it had taken them some time to bring them down the mountain to stabilize them. They were in the ambulance. And then I guess they had to call in a medical helicopter uh, and and sort of land it, you know, where there's no landing pad, just land it, like clear out the people and land like right in front of the, the ski lodge at the bottom. Um, so I'm assuming they took that person and then they flew them off. Uh, so I don't know what happened. I try to look it up, you know, see how they were doing and all that. I don't know, but... A little bit of a morbid story it was just one of the crazier things that i've seen and uh, it wasn't something i was expecting especially not in all places really you know in the rockies just because everybody seemed to be an excellent skier it was you know obviously anybody can have a bad crash right but like um everybody there seemed to be like on point you didn't really see too many bad bad skiers i was actually pretty surprised and i, I think that's because they are pretty challenging courses. You're pretty high up. You really got to know what you're doing, um, even on those beginner runs. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to share that with you just because it was just a, something that kind of seared into my memory. Also a crazy experience on the mountain. As for the rest of Denver, I really grew to like it. It's very hipstery, which kind of fits with fits with me. A lot of hipster places to eat, a lot of um, alternative vegan cross fusion places to eat uh the neighborhood i was in capitol hill really nice everything was really close you know if you want to go to the gym there's a gym there easy to sign up people are very friendly uh there's it's a very walkable city there's bike and scooter rentals everywhere all of that is made very nice but there is a huge homeless problem in denver and i i what i mean by that is that it doesn't seem like the government there is able to provide assistance to all these people who are homeless. I mean, there were basically, you know, almost encampments of homeless people outside of the Denver Capitol building, you know, the state Capitol building, which reminded me of like feudal Europe, right? When the, the kings and the queens are in the castle and everybody who's, you know, all the the serfs are, are below. Uh, it was just a really you know, sort of shocking view or 
demonstration of the difference in in i guess in wealth and it was pretty sad to see it was just uh you know i know that this is a problem across the united states um like if you go to washington dc you go right outside of the union station train station and right on the lawn there there's a huge encampment so to me you know that seems like it's a major issue i don't know if politicians are talking about it enough but it really does seem like something has to be done right like people have to be given some way some hope somehow out of that situation and and it's something that really in denver that i saw a lot and you really get confronted with it a lot and uh, so it's made me want to look into and research more on on the issue and also what's being done to help and uh, i don't know if much really is being done at least if it is it doesn't seem like it's it's working so that, you know i guess my take on denver and I was, i've now shared you know two of my thoughts which don't seem too much on the positive side i do really i did really like it i love the the atmosphere there i was there right in spring when the days were getting a, a little bit warm and everybody's like out enjoying it after what must have been a brutal winter um people are very nice very friendly um but it does seem uh that you know there is this sort of divide there uh, and on the mountain man if you want to ski that's where you do it you do it in the rockies like whether it's utah or colorado that's where you do it it's so much fun it's such a different experience it was one of the most fun days of my life like one of the most fun days of my life i can't wait to go back and do that again because it was just so fantastic highly highly recommend it even if you're a beginner take a lesson out there that's the place you do it i mean they've got lifts to show you how to get on the lift and everything you know you've got great rental options like they measure you for your skis they measure your feet they make sure you're wearing the right boot you know they lace the boot you know they strap the boot on for your foot they you know give skis based on your your level it's it's fantastic and hey you got a lodge at the bottom you got a lodge halfway up the mountain plenty of places to eat drink they had a live band it was a pretty fun day overall so you know to end that on a positive note that's just kind of my takeaway simple takeaways from denver now from denver i flew to belize city through houston there i, I don't think there's a direct flight so i flew to belize now, that was a really fun trip. So let me tell you this right after these messages. All right, so I am going to Belize City. And I land in Belize City and I'm staying in Key Cocker. Now, Key Cocker is a small island that's about a 45-minute water taxi away from Belize City. So I land in Belize City, and I'm at the airport. I get into a cab, and I know it's going to cost $30, like that 30 US. That's the kind of the base rate. The cabs that are quote-unquote official could be any car, but they have a green license plate. <laughs> but it was just like basically just, you know, a random car with a green license plate. You get in, um, and I was pretty surprised. The, the guy was, tax driver was pretty nice, didn't try to rip me off, said $30, might have been 25 you know i could have bargained it there i know people some people have but it seemed reasonable and close enough to the actual price you get taken to the water taxi show up 
I did not buy tickets ahead of time. I showed up at the water taxi. You give your, you buy your ticket. I got a round trip ticket to and from Key Calker. You give your luggage. They take your luggage from you, which is going on a separate boat. So there goes your luggage. You keep obviously your handbag with, you know, with my laptop and the camera gear. I had that all on me and uh, waited around for an hour, talked to the staff there because in Belize, people are really friendly and they love to talk. It's just a great place to meet people and chat and just have great conversations with cab drivers, anybody working anywhere, just Belizeans were very, very friendly and warm people. So water taxi shows up. I was like, oh, I'll sit in the back and get some sun. And uh, I was right by the motors. It was super loud. The water taxi is flying across the water. It's bouncing up and down. So if you sit in the back, you don't have to worry about the bouncing up and down as much. You just have a lot of wind and the sun and the noise. So the next time on the way back, I sat in the front, which was its own adventure. I show up in Key Cocker, which is an island, which is maybe like five miles long and a mile across, but really it seems smaller than that because I would go for jogs in the morning and I would go from, you know, basically the tip of one island to the tip of the other island uh, to the tip of the island from north to south. And it would take me like 25 minutes max to run. It's all pretty close. Everything is, you know, within everything, you know, most of the places you would want to eat, see, they're within like a 15 minute walk easily. The key is actually split in two. There's a north side and a south side of the split. Most everybody can, you know, you're staying in the south side. The north side is, you know, there's more remote beaches and some crocodiles. I have a crocodile story for you. Um, and that was split. It was a hurricane in 1960s. And I think it's 1961 that split the island in two. So you can take a ferry over to the north side if you want. Really small, really chill island. So beautiful. It's a little bit still off the tourist radar. Uh, people were telling me that it was very crowded when I arrived because it was Easter. So a lot of locals are there and a lot of tourists like to come in the week after. But my experience was if that was the, the peak, that was the high season, it was pretty chill overall. It is small. It is relaxed. The water is beautiful. The things to do are beautiful for scuba diving, for snorkeling, you know, for outdoor activity, it's absolutely great. Great places to eat. Lots of local places, lots of larger restaurants that, you know, where you can sit and watch the sunset. Just one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. I feel like more people find out about it, it might get screwed up. But I feel like it still had some of its natural charm. And like I said, people are really talkative. And you run into people, like, constantly because it's just a, such a small place. You will see everybody, like, ten times just walking down the street in a single day. And you, and doing that, you know, you, you kind of build familiarity with people. You stop and talk and it's just really nice. Lots of great, 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 great seafood. Lots of great jerk seafood, curry seafood, spicy if you want it, sweet if you want it. Lots of great food. Uh, they also have these things called fry jacks, which are sort of large, almost like fried dough stuffed with beans and then, or with eggs, or with chicken, or with ham, or some mix of all three of those things. I had those one morning, and they are absolutely great. So really just a heavy way, oily way to start your day, but just good food all around. So I spent most of my time there eating across the island. Again, 
making videos. You're going to see all these places that I'm talking about. Um, and one of the videos about sunsets, so I'll just give you that much. So I ran into a guy as I was walking who was on his way to work, a young guy who said, introduced himself. We just started talking, you know, and, and Keycock is one of those places where, you know, like somebody's talking to you and then like you can go to some cities or some touristic areas in some parts of the world and you know that that's, I want to say a scam or maybe someone trying to get you to go to their shop or their restaurant. Uh, and this still might be the case. I really don't know. He's telling me about his uncle's place called Maggie's. And uh, I, I can't wait to show you that video. So we're talking and he introduces me to everybody, to the cook, to the staff. And he's like, you should come back here before you go because the food is excellent local food great sunset views that's what they're known for they're known for lobster as well uh, but it wasn't lobster season so no lobster so i go there you know long story short i go there I eat da, da, da. sunset starts happening i walk out onto the dock to you know get do the video that i'm gonna do you know film and all that and my camera and everything and I'm done, you know, the sunsets and I start walking back and, you know, I'm thanking everybody for the experience, for the, you know, time and saying goodnight. And it's funny because the, one of the young guys who works there, one of the, the waiters who was the son of the owner was saying, Hey, did you get good pictures of the crocodile? And I was like, wait, what? He was like, I, I started laughing. I thought he was totally joking. And he was like, no, the crocodile. And you see him. And I was like, no, I did not see the crocodile right by the edge of the water there where I was like filming. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, this is a crocodile there, saltwater crocodile. And I was like, I did not know they had those here. Apparently they do have them throughout Belize and Key Cocker, usually not where there are too many people. They apparently are a little bit skittish and don't want to be around people. Um, but uh, yeah, it definitely made me think about watching my step next time. And so, yeah, so I almost stepped on a crocodile. It's my crocodile story. And it's saltwater crocodile. They grow to be about 20 feet, which is like, what, three, four meters, something like that. I mean, it's a pretty sizable animal. And uh, as I, the next day, I went to Coffee Key, which if you listen to the last episode, you know, Coffee Key is uh, Let's Buy an Island. It's Marshall's crowdfunded island that's turning into a micronation. So we go out there, um, and I'll tell you about that real quick, but the fisherman was saying, oh yeah, those crocodiles, he's like, I wouldn't mess with those, he goes, he goes, like sharks, he goes, they'll try to take a bite out of you, he said, but a crocodile's like, it wants to eat you, and it's going to try to eat you, even if you fight back, so that was the story about crocodiles, anyway, the next day, uh, just a quick recap on my visit to Coffee Key, I take the ferry water taxi back from Coffee Key to Belize Island. Uh, sorry, Belize Island, Belize City. Um, I take a taxi, which by, when I say taxi, it means driven by like a 20-year-old in an unmarked car who I just hope is taking me to the right place. I go to this restaurant where nobody knows anybody I'm supposed to meet. I'm like, okay. Anyway, uh, the guy shows up, really nice guy named uh, Kader, and... I asked him about his name because it's not a very Belizean name. And he's like, oh, my parents are Lebanese immigrants. So they immigrated there and he's Belizean, grew up there. And he introduces me to Ricardo, who's a captain. So he's the captain of this small fishing boat 
takes me out in the speedboat. We go about 20 minutes straight out to Coffee Key, circle around it a couple times just to get a good view for the video that's coming up. And uh, then we just, like, he finds a spot and he would just, like, roll up onto the island with the boat. And I, I started filming there. It's a beautiful place. It's just sort of in the middle of the ocean, like, just beautiful water. Apparently, it's a great place for fishing, not too far off the coast. He said there had been some erosion, so they were going to dredge up some sand. And if you don't know what that is, basically they go out, you know, to deep water, pull up a bunch of white sand, and then they put it back on the beach. And that's to fight the erosion, which happens naturally and also after storms. Um, and yeah, and I just walked around and filmed. There's nothing on the island right now except some, a little bit of garbage, you know, that just washed up on the beach and an outhouse. And the outhouse is basically just over a little strip of water, so all your all your waste goes back into the ocean. To be honest, you could probably go to the bathroom anywhere on the Coffee Key right now because there's nobody there, and I don't think it would make a difference. But uh, they do have a little outhouse there, so it was nice. So uh, I, you know, I talked to Captain Ricardo, told me a little bit about the island. He said, "Yeah, a couple of people have been out here. Some of the investors." Um, we talked crocodiles and sharks. He was like, oh, yeah, no crocodiles here because, you know, there's no no crocodiles here. He goes, but there's a there's a key across there. I think it was called St. George's. He was like, that's where you find the crocodiles. And I was like, okay, that's where I'm not going. Um, so, yeah, so that was my trip out to Coffee Key, which was fantastic. Um, again, videos of all these things coming up because I'm giving you the the tidbits and the the things off the top of my head and from my notes right now. But um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I couldn't believe it. Like a week after, two weeks after talking to Marshall that I actually made it out there and I was able to message him and, you know, he was like, how was it? And I was like, it was great. Thank you so much for helping me, you know, put that together and to go visit it. It was pretty surreal to be out there. Uh, he said, yeah, somebody came out there and put in Islandia flag uh, you know, recently, which I didn't see the flag. I guess I guess somebody had taken it back, but I, I really wanted to see it. So, yeah, it was beautiful. Um, I went back to Key Cocker, which is basically reversing the order of all of this, which is going from Coffee Key, 20 minutes to Belize City, going water taxi back to Key Cocker, which is 45 minutes. Um, I did a whole bunch of other stuff, but just to wrap it up with one last story, I got to do something that was on my bucket list. Tell you right about that in a second. So I'm not a person who believes in bucket list. I think the term is a little bit redundant. Like bucket list is things you want to do before you die. I feel like you can't really do anything after you die, right? So everything you want to do, you don't need to add the before I die part because you don't really have many options after you're dead, right? I mean, bucket list is kind of a cool thing. I know it means like something you really, really, really want to do. You know, it's like one of those once in a lifetime opportunities. But, you know, I always thought the term was funny because I'm like, what do you want to do? You know, if that's what you want to do before you die, what do you want to do after you die? Yeah, exactly. But I do have very, very, very few things. And this one has been on my list for a long time. And I don't know why, but ever since I've seen a picture of it, I've always wanted to visit it. It's something I've wanted to see with my own eyes. And that is the Blue Hole, which is basically a very, very, very deep part of the ocean surrounded by much more shallower water off the coast of 
billies, you know, uh, off the coast of these keys. And it's so deep that the surrounding water is turquoise. The water appears to be deeper blue and it's in a circle. It's called the Great Blue. It's called the Blue Hole because that's what it is, a big blue hole. And I don't know why, but something about it has always stuck with me. And I'm like, I've always wanted to see that. And I've tried to, I guess, you know, I've had plans where I'm going to go to Belize and just, you know, I changed plans or whatever. But this was something I really wanted to do. And now I arrived Sunday. Sunday was Easter. Monday was also Easter holiday in much of Latin America. Everything was closed. So I couldn't, you know, go to the tour company. Tuesday... I, you know, I do some filming. I get back in the afternoon. I start talking to the hotel. I'm like, hey, which are the tour companies you recommend? And, we, you know, we start talking and he was like, oh, man, the flights need three people to go. And this morning there were two guys who were going to go on the flight and they couldn't because they were missing one person. I wish he had told me. I'm like, oh, man. So finally, you know, after working, you know, I, I get to the, the tour agency the tour company that's gonna, that runs the flights over the blue hole. So I'm not going to snorkel or dive in the blue hole. Number one, because I don't have a scuba license. Number two, you don't really snorkel at the blue hole because everything is actually in, you know, it's pretty deep. you got to go in and you can't see the blue hole from, you know, sea level, right? You have to see it from the sky. And I've been told you can see it from space. It's one of those things you see from space. Uh, I'm not sure about that, but, uh, so anyway, so Wednesday, I'm, I'm like calling the guy and he's like, yeah, there's one other person who wants to do it. So, you know, you're the second person. So hopefully we get one other person. Otherwise, the flight's not going to go. You need three to go. So I'm there. You know, this is Thursday is like my last full day. I've got Tuesday. I've started this conversation. Nobody shows up. All right, fine. I've got two. Two out of three is pretty good. You know, and I'm hoping that that second person doesn't bail or find some other option or whatever, you know, Wednesday shows up and I'm like, okay, all right, this is, you know, it's not looking good, but you know, every morning, every morning, the water taxis show up with tons more tourists, right? So one of those people has got to want to fly over the blue hole. So as things happen on the island, things run a little bit slow, you know, things are a little bit slow. People don't call you, you know, they say 10 minutes, it's like 30 minutes, you know, it's island life. That's cool. The motto of key cockers go slow. Um, and so I'm down with that. that. That's fine. So it's Thursday morning. I don't remember what I did in the morning. I, I think I shot a video or something and it was like 10. And the guy had told me, if you don't hear from me by 10 AM, it's probably not going to happen. Right. And I'm like, okay. So I wait until 10 30. And I just walk over there because everything is so close. And I'm like, hey, do you have that third person? And he's like, no, I'm really, really sorry. It's it's not going to happen. And I was like, ah. and I was like, what if, you know, obviously the two or the three people minimum requirement is down to price. I'm like, what if I pay extra? Can I just pay extra? Now, the normal tour runs, I think, like $225 or $250 per person. And he was like, all right, let me talk to the other person. So he talks to this person whom I don't know. And he comes back to me. Because, see, here's what I was thinking. Here's what I was thinking. I was like, if this other person is like a budget traveler or a backpacker, they probably are not going to be able to stretch their budget. And then I'm going to really know but if they're able to stretch their budget a little bit 
then that means that they're probably somebody who's not traveling on the absolute budget and they've got some flexibility, they can pay a little bit more and I've got a better shot to make this happen. So he, you know, talks to the person, calls me back and he's like, all right, look, I talked to the pilot and he said, um, we can do it for 375 per person. What do you think? And I'm like, I thought about it and I was like, you know, this is something I really, really want to do. We're talking 250 to 375 it's like $175 more, right? Like at that point, that's not going to stop me. So I say, okay, let's do it. I, I didn't, you know, I was like, let's do it. Um, and I didn't even try to bargain at that point. I was like, Let, let's just do it. And he comes back to me, calls me again. And he says, so I talked to the other woman who wants to go. And her, she went scuba diving or snorkeling in the morning, and her budget is capped at three fifty. And the pilot is like, he can't do it for anymore. And I was like, wait a minute. So he's like, you have two options. You can either pay her twenty five dollars, so then it would be four hundred dollars for me, um, and that's it. And she would pay three fifty. And I was like, all right. I'm thinking in my head, like, okay, that's still an option, right? Like, I really want to do this, but I don't want to let on how much I really want to do this. I'm like. Give me the number to the pilot. Just give me the number to the pilot. And the tour operator is like, all right. So the guy gives me the number of the pilot. So I call him. I can't get in touch. He texts me back. Hey, you know, like, what's up? Uh, I saw that I got a missed call from this number. Um, what do you need? I'm like, I need you to call me. So I guess he was refueling or whatever he was doing, right? Like, he's, he's a pilot, right? He's operating these small planes that go out and do tours. So he calls me back and I'm like, hey, listen, I am in this situation. Okay, me and this other girl, we want to go to the Blue Hole. We want to do the Blue Hole flight. Her budget is severely capped, strictly capped at $350. And I was like, and I did some calculation here. Just go with me. That when you have three, I think it's like three or four people, the rate drops down to 225 so if you do the math, 225 times 3 is 675. Or if you do 250 for three people, it's $750, right? So in my head, as I'm talking to the pilot, I'm like, I know per flight you want to make around 700 to $750. 350 plus 350 is 700. That's a little bit above 675. And then I say, hey, and there's only two of us. So the plane is going to be lighter and you're going to use less fuel. So it's going to be a little bit less expensive for you as well. This is what I'm thinking and right? having no idea as I'm not, I'm not a pilot, but like I'm just calculating in my head. And I was like, look, you know, and then hey, you'll get the flight. We'll be really happy and you'll make a, you know, at least you'll make some money on this flight. And he's like, all right. I need to talk to the tour guy cuz for me he said as the pilot and uh I later learned that he's part owner of Caribbean uh which I highly recommend. He's like you know, it depends on the tour operator because when you go through them, they're going to take the cut. They're going to take a cut from what I make. And he's like, so I'm willing to do it for that price, but you got to talk to the tour operator um, or I've got to talk to the tour operator and see if it's possible. So he calls them and he's like, you know, the tour operator will get back in touch with you. So he calls them, tour operator messages me back. He's like, can you pay cash? I'm like, I can pay cash. So then I can do 350 for each of you. 
And I'm assuming the cash is so that there aren't any credit card fees or whatever. I'm just making that assumption. Um, I th- At first I thought like, oh, cash deal, you know, like they're probably going to pocket some of that or something. But uh, the other woman um, said, you know, she ended up paying with cards. But I assume that my cut, the cash, saved them some money on credit card fees. And it really wasn't like a huge discount. I mean, right? We're talking about $50, like if $375 each to $350 each. You know, it's not all, like, as a percentage, it's not that much. So the blue hole flight is going to happen. I had to call the captain and everything. And when I show up, there's the the other woman there who is very, very nice. And she, she said, I guess we really both wanted to do this trip. And I was like, yeah, I really wanted to do this. And I was, like, telling her the story about call. She was like, I know you had to call the pilot and everything. And she later told me, she was like, I didn't want to bail on this because I knew there was somebody else who really wanted to take this trip. And I said, that's one of the reasons I didn't want to bail either. I I didn't want to be the person who let somebody else down because maybe seeing the blue hole from the sky was as important to you as it was to me. And it really worked out. It was one of those things. And funny story is she was very, uh, I would say type A, very like schedule oriented, very scheduled. And she was like, how do, if this was so important to you, why'd you leave it to the last minute? And I was like, I, I kind of didn't leave it to the last minute, I guess in my head, not last minute. I said, you know, I just figured I would show up and early in the week make arrangements and it would kind of happen. And she was like, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. You know, I, every part of my trip is very planned out. And I was like, well, I always feel like, you know, these things kind of work themselves out. And uh, I just kind of, go with the flow and uh, you know that they they it, it it took a little bit of uh I, I call a little bit of um turkish negotiating there in the middle to make it happen but it worked so all these things put together i got to fly over the blue hole the flight normally goes only 1500 feet up we went 3500 feet because otherwise when the plane is full it really can't go that high spectacular way out views out there and then when we get to the blue hole the pilot um starts circling around and gets lower and lower. We get down to about 500 feet, which is pretty freaking close, like 500 feet to the to the blue hole. Amazing photos. It was as impressive than I, you know, as I imagined and, and maybe even more so. Um, there's actually like on the outside of the reef, not around the blue hole itself, but around this bigger sort of reef area that's, you know, around that vicinity, there's a, looks like a, a cargo ship or maybe a tanker had crashed there years ago. It's completely rusted and falling apart, which was crazy. So you have all this deep water. Then you have this reef, which is very close to the surface, and this shipwreck, which has been there for a long time, it looks like. So yeah, so that's the story of getting to the Blue Hole. It was just everything came together. It was one of those fantastic days. And uh, yeah, it was just one. I don't even think I have something on my list of something I really, 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 really want to do. Oh yeah, there is. There's a part of the world that I really, 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 really want to go to. There's two things left, actually. The one thing I'm not going to do this year. The second thing is involving involves some Central Asian countries, which all things, hopefully, you know, I'm crossing my fingers, but that's going to happen starting in, in sometime in June. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know I said we were going to talk tech. But we're running a little bit over time. So maybe maybe we should save that conversation for, you know, for a little bit, for a little bit, for another episode coming up. How about that? I hope you enjoyed this. It wasn't very planned, sort of impromptu uh, podcast episode. I plan to do one more of these. 
about Guatemala next week. So hopefully you'll, you know, have some good stories and things. As, as first impressions of this place, all I can say is the food is absolutely amazing. I love it. Food is great. Flavors that I haven't really had before. Colors. It's a really fantastic place to be. Um, if you want kind of live updates, those are happening on Instagram stories and YouTube stories. So if you follow me on YouTube, you should see those stories kind of as I'm doing day-to-day stuff. And in, on Instagram as well, there are some stories, you know, I'm just kind of posting small videos and updates and stuff. So if you want to see a visual of all of those, you can find those in those places. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. I really appreciate it. I appreciate your feedback too. If you let me know if you like this, if you want a different structure for these kind of on-the-road podcasts, let me know. Um, but otherwise, if you're still listening at this point, you are a super listener. You've gotten to the end of the podcast. If you haven't already, leave five stars, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. You know the places. They really, really help get the word out about the show. And the show is growing and growing. And it's all because of you. We are getting close to the end of season three. That's gonna. This season is going to end sometime in June. But... A lot of episodes. I think we're going to have weekly episodes going right through the end. We're probably going to be pushing it out until middle, maybe late June. So uh, stay tuned for all those upcoming episodes. Lots of updates from the road. Lots of great guests as well. But until the next episode, I hope you have a great rest of your day. <laughs>